0: Section forty of A History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume Three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. A History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume Three by Henry Charles Lee. Book Eight, Chapter Two, Spheres of Action, Moriscos. Part Two. The nominal Christianity thus imposed upon those reared in the tenets of Islam was only the beginning of the task assumed by the state. The more difficult labor remained of rendering them true Christians if the advantage was to be secured of molding discordant races into a homogeneous community, which alone could justify the violent measures adopted. The unity of faith, which was the ideal at the time of both churchmen and statesmen, means more than mere outward conformity. It means that all should form a united nation, animated with the same aspirations and the same hopes, here and hereafter, and conscientiously sharing a common belief. In a land like Spain, populated by diverse races, this was an object worth many sacrifices. If it could not be attained, the enforced baptism of a powerful minority only exaggerated divergence and perpetuated discord. To secure the desired result by the employment of force through the Inquisition could not fail to intensify abhorrence of a religion which, while professing universal love and charity, was known only as an excuse for oppression and cruelty. Yet the only alternative was the slow and laborious process of disarming the prejudices already aroused and winning over the reluctant convert by gentleness and persuasion, by kindly instruction and demonstration that the truths of Christianity were not mere theological abstractions of no vitality in practical life. We have seen the embodiment of the two methods in Jimenez and Talavera. And it was the fatal error of those who ruled the destinies of spain that they had not patience and self-denial resolutely to follow the latter haltingly and spasmodically they tried to do so with only persistence enough to put themselves in the wrong and deprive of justification the concurrent employment of the easier process of coercion from one cause or another as we shall have occasion to see the intermittent and ineffective attempts at persuasion failed miserably while the perpetual irritation of persecution led inevitably to chronic exasperation. Five years had elapsed since the coercive baptism, which, under the precepts of the church, should have been preceded by competent understanding of the mysteries of the faith, when Jimenez attained, in 1507, the inquisitor generalship. One of his earliest acts was a letter to all the churches prescribing the deportment in religious matters of the new Christians and their children, including regular attendance at the Mass, instruction in the rudiments of the faith and avoidance of Judaic and Mahometan rites. presumably this accomplished little and in 1510 Ferdinand addressed all his prelates pointing out the neglect of Christian observances by the conversos and ordering the bishops to enforce their presence at mass and to provide for their instruction matters to which the parish priests must devote special attention the council of Seville in 1512 responded to this by calling attention to the number of new converts who greatly needed religious instruction the prelates who were responsible for the salvation of souls were ordered to depute for that purpose learned men who should specially investigate their manner of life and their commission of sins pertaining to their old faith All parish priests were ordered to make out lists of the converts and see that they conformed to the mandates of the church, and special lists were to be compiled of those who had been reconciled by the Inquisition, with orders to attend Mass on Sundays and feast days, so that their fulfillment of their sentences could be enforced. From what we know of the failure of subsequent measures of this kind, we may safely assume that these received little attention from those who would have been obliged to expend money and labor in their execution simultaneously with his letters of 1510 Ferdinand had applied to Julius the second representing that since 1492 there had been converted many Jews and Moors who through insufficient instruction had been led to commit many heretical crimes he had ordered their instruction but it would be inhuman to visit them with the full rigor of the canons and he therefore asked faculties to publish an edict of grace under which those coming in could be reconciled without confiscation and published abjuration so that in case of relapse they could escape relaxation the conditions appended to the edicts of grace so reduced their effectiveness that this is important only as an indication that ferdinand as we shall see elsewhere was rather disposed to check inquisitorial ardor in the prosecution of the moriscos but he atoned for this on his deathbed by a clause in his will commanding his grandson charles to appoint inquisitors zealous for the destruction of the sect of Mohammed. This was superfluous for as the stock of judaizers became reduced moriscos supplied their place and the inquisition required curbing rather than stimulation that charles recognized this is seen in various edicts of grace issued in their favor for certain districts between 1518 and 1521 edicts which relieved them from confiscation and the san Benito, but did not protect from relapse or exempt from denunciation of accomplices There was little practical relief to be expected from such measures, but at least they indicate the conviction of the rulers that it was both unjust and impolite to visit with the rigor of the canons those who had been forced into the church and had no spiritual instruction. Still, the canon law was a positive fact. An elaborate machinery had been instituted for its enforcement, with no corresponding organization to render the new religion attractive instead of odious, and a situation had been created for which there was no radical cure. Alleviation was the only resource, and this was attempted, although the fluctuating policy adopted only intensified the evil for the future. In pursuance of this, Cardinal Adrian, August fifth, 1521, issued orders that no arrests should be made except on evidence directly conclusive of heresy, and even then it must be first submitted to the Suprema this seems to have received so little obedience that archbishop manrique april twenty eighth, 1524 repeated it in more decisive fashion he recited the conversion of the moriscos by Ferdinand and isabella who promised them graces and liberties in pursuance of which cardinal adrian had issued so many provisions in their favor ordering the tribunals not to prosecute them for trifling causes and if any were so arrested they were to be discharged and their property be returned to them In spite of this, the inquisitors continued to arrest them on trivial charges, and on the evidence of single witnesses. As they were ignorant persons, who could not readily prove their innocence, these arrests had greatly scandalized to them, and they had petitioned for relief, wherefore the Suprema ordered inquisitors not to arrest them without conclusive evidence of heresy, and where there was doubt, it was to be consulted all who were held for matters not plainly heretical were to have speedy justice tempered with such clemency as conscience might permit how completely these instructions were ignored is manifest in the trials of the moriscos where as in those of the Judaizers any adherence to customs which for generations had formed part of daily life was sufficient for arrest and prosecution it was not merely the fasting of the Ramadan the practice of circumcision the guadak or bath accompanied with a ritual Or the Tayor, another kind of bath used prior to zala or certain prayers uttered with the face turned to the east at sunrise noon sunset and night these were well-defined religious ceremonies admitting of no explanation but there were numerous others innocent in themselves which implied suspicion of heresy and suspicion was in itself a crime under skillful management including the free use of torture Arrest for these simple observances might lead to further confessions, and the opportunity was not to be lost. Abstinence from pork and wine was amply sufficient to justify prosecution, and we hear of cases in which staining the nails with henna, refusing to eat of animals dying a natural death, killing fowls by decolation, the zambras and the lelas, or songs and dances used at merrymakings and nuptials, and even cleanliness, were gravely adduced as evidences of apostasy. In pursuance of this policy, elaborate lists of all Moorish customs were made out for the guidance of the Inquisitors. Abstracts of these were included in the Edicts of Faith, where everyone who had seen or heard of such things was required under pain of excommunication to denounce them. The Moriscos were subjected to perpetual espionage, and any unguarded utterance, which might be construed as inferring heretical leaning, was liable to be reported and to lead to arrest and probable punishment. It is true that from these slender indications the inquisitorial process frequently led up to full confession, but this did not render the position of the Morisco less intolerable, and constraint and anxiety contributed largely to intensify his detestation of the religion which he knew only as the cause of persecution. Bishop Perez of Segorbe, in 1595, when enumerating fifteen impediments to the conversion of the Moriscos, included their fear of the inquisition and its punishments which made them hate Christianity. At all events, it secured outward conformity, at least in Castile, where they were gradually assimilating themselves to the old Christians. They had long since abandoned their national dress and language. They were assiduous in attendance at mass and vespers, the confessional, and the sacrament of the altar. They participated in processions and interments, and were commonly regarded as Christians, whatever might be the secrets of their hearts. Doubtless as time wore on, many were won over and became sincerely attached to their new faith, but every now and then little communities of apostates were brought to light. Thus, in 1538, Juan Yanez, inquisitor of Toledo, included Damiel in a visitation. It had a Morisco population, which had been baptized in 1502 and had apparently been overlooked for so long that it had grown somewhat careless. A woman reported to Yanez that she had lived with Moriscos for twelve years and had observed that they did not use pork or wine on the plea that these things disagreed with them. This sufficed to start an investigation which so crowded the secret prison that we hear of nine women confined in a single cell, and of the Hall of the Inquisition being used as a place of detention. Yet this vigorous work did not extirpate the evil, for in 1597 the Toledo Tribunal was busy with heretics from Damiel more shocking was a case in which maria paez daughter of diego paez Limpati of almagro figured for she accused all her kindred and friends her father was burnt in 1606 as an impenitent negativo her mother who confessed was reconciled and imprisoned and in all 25 moriscos of almagro suffered of whom four were relaxed In the Toledo Record, from 1575 to 1610, there are 190 cases of Moriscos as against 174 of Judaizers and 47 of Protestants, showing that, notwithstanding the influx of Portuguese, the Moriscos were the most numerous heretics with which the tribunal had to deal. The old Mudéjares of Castile had fallen upon evil times, but worse were in store for them. Granada presented a more difficult and dangerous problem, requiring the most sagacious statesmanship to reconcile political safety with the demand for unity of faith. Yet this delicate situation was treated with a blundering disregard of common sense, characteristic of Philip II. The population was almost wholly Morisco, and the country was rugged and mountainous, offering abundant refuge for the despairing. The so-called conversion of 1501 had worked no change in their belief. They were hard-working, moral honorable in their dealings and charitable to the poor, but they were Moslems at heart. If they went to Mass, it was to escape the fine. If they had their children baptized, they forthwith washed off the charism and circumcised the males. If they confessed during Lent, it was merely to obtain the certificate. If they learned the prayers of the church, it was in order to get married, after which they were forgotten with all convenient speed. They had been promised forty years exemption from the inquisition but they were rendered disaffected by the abuses of judicial avarice and the insolent domination of the officials secular and ecclesiastical in 1526 charles v was in granada where in the name of the moriscos three descendants of the old moorish kings fernando Vinegas, miguel de aragon and diego lopez benejara appealed to him for protection against the ill treatment by the priests the judges the Aguaziles and other officials whereupon he appointed a commission to investigate and report Fray Antonio de Guavara, shortly to be Bishop of Gaudi was one of the commissioners and in a letter to a friend he describes the Moriscos as offering so much that required correction that it had better be done in secret rather than by public punishment they had been so ill-taught and the magistrates had so winked at their errors that remedying it for the future would be enough without disturbing the past This shows the spirit in which the commission performed its work. The incriminated priests and officials had turned the tables on their accusers, who were now defendants. The report of the commission confirmed the complaint of ill-usage, but stated that among the Moriscos there were not to be found more than seven true Christians. This was submitted to a junta, presided over by Inquisitor-General Manrique, and the result was an edict known as that of 1526. It granted no relief from oppression but concerned itself with the apostasy of the moriscos which it sought to cure not by instructing them but by rendering their condition still more intolerable in violation of promises the inquisition of gian was transferred to granada amnesty for past offenses was granted and a term of grace was provided for those confessing voluntarily after which the laws against heresy were to be rigorously enforced, although for some years fines were substituted for confiscation, and time was allowed in which the penitents could earn them. This was supplemented with a series of most vexatious regulations, prohibiting the use of Arabic and of Moorish garments and of baths. Christian midwives were to be present at all births. Disarmament was enforced by a rigid inspection of licenses. The doors of moriscos were to be kept open on feast days Fridays Saturdays and during weddings to prevent the use of Moorish ceremonies schools to train children in Castilian were to be established at Granada Gaudí and Almeria no Moorish names were to be used and moriscos were not to keep gasis or unbaptized moors whether free or slave this naturally caused great agitation the Moriscos held a general assembly and raised 80,000 ducats to be offered to Charles for a withdrawal of the edict. His advisers were doubtless propitiated, and before leaving Granada, he suspended it during his pleasure and permitted the carrying of a sword and dagger in the towns and of a lance in the open country. A special tax, known as Harda, probably dates from about this period, under which the use of Moorish garments and language was permitted, and in 1563 we chanced to learn that this amounted to 20,000 ducats per annum. It would seem that, for a while, the Inquisition troubled the Moriscos but little, for in its first general auto, held in 1529, out of 89 culprits there were 78 for Judaism, but there were three for Mahatmanism, and one of these was an effigy. Still it provoked disquiet, and in 1532, Captain-General Mondahar suggested to Charles its suspension, since it had done nothing and could find nothing against the Moriscos. This was unfortunate, for it stimulated the tribunal to greater activity against them, leading to numerous offers on their part to Charles, and after his abdication to Philip the Second, of liberal payments for relief. Charles's necessities prompted him to listen to these propositions, but the Inquisition managed to prevent their success, while Philip, of course, turned a deaf ear to them. Even Inquisitor General Valdez, in 1558, during his disfavor at court, seems to have taken a hand in these negotiations, for we find himself promising a subsidio of a hundred thousand ducats from the Moriscos of Granada. The condition of the Moriscos was steadily growing worse, and the situation in Granada was becoming dangerously explosive. The Inquisition was more active than ever. All the old oppressions by the priests and judicial officers continued unchecked, and a new source of intense irritation was the progressive spoliation of their lands by judges of boundaries, who, in the name of the king, deprived them of properties inherited or purchased. In short, they were gente sin lengua y sin favor, friendless and defenseless. Then, in 1563, an old order to present to the Captain General all licenses to bear arms was revived, under a penalty of six years of galleys. In 1565, a fresh source of trouble was created by extending the royal jurisdiction over the lands of the nobles, in which many Moriscos, who in years past had committed crimes, had sought asylum. Eager for fees, the notaries and justices searched the records and made arrests, until there was scarce a Morisco who did not live in daily fear. Many took to the mountains, joining the bands of monfils, or outlaws, and committing outrages, while the measures taken for their suppression only increased the disorder. The condition of Granada was one which required firmness and conciliation, but infatuation prevailed in Philip's court, and the occasion was seized to aggravate irritation beyond endurance. Guerrero, archbishop of Granada, and returning from trent in fifteen sixty three had tarried in rome where he lamented to Pius the fourth that his flock was christian only in name Pius sent by him an urgent message to philip reinforced by orders to his nuncio the bishop of rosano to the same purport Guerrero, on reaching home, assembled a provincial council in 1565, in which he endeavored to restrain the oppression of the Moriscos by the ecclesiastics, but his chapter appealed from the conciliar degrees, and the effort was negatory. He had more success in inducing the bishops to join in urging upon the king the adoption of measures to prevent the Moriscos from concealing their apostasy, and he wrote to Philip, begging him to purify the land from this filthy sect. It could readily, he said, be found who were really Christians by prohibiting the things through which the rites were kept from view. Philip referred Guerrero's memorial to a junta presided over by Diego de Espinoza, recently made president of Castile and soon-to-be inquisitor general. It reported that, presuming the Moriscos to be Christian by baptism, they must be compelled to be so in fact, to which end they must be required to abandon the language, Garments and customs of Moors by reviving the edict of fifteen twenty six, and this was solemnly charged on the royal conscience. Philip thereupon consulted privately doctor Otaduey professor of theology at Salamanca and shortly to be bishop of Avila, who in his reply told the king that if any of the lords of the Moriscos should recite the old Castilian proverb, The more Moors, the more profit, he should remember an older and truer one. The fewer enemies the better, and combine the two into the more dead Moors the better, for there will be fewer enemies, advice which we are told greatly pleased the monarch, in place of opening his eyes to the policy which was converting his subjects into his enemies. A pragmatica was speedily framed, embodying the most irritating features of the edict of fifteen twenty six, and Pedro de Deza a member of the Suprema and of Espinoza's Junta, was appointed President of the Chancellery of Granada and sent there, May 4, 1566, under orders to publish and enforce it without listening to remonstrances. It illustrates Philip's method of government that Captain General Mondahar, although at the court, was not even apprised of the measure, until an order was conveyed to him through Espinoza to return to Granada and to be present at the publication. He was Captain General by inheritance, being grandson to the Tendilla placed there at the conquest. He had lived in Granada from his boyhood. He had been Captain General for thirty years and was thoroughly familiar with the situation. He represented that Granada was destitute of troops and of munitions, and he begged either that the measure be suspended or that he be furnished with forces to suppress the revolt that he foresaw to be inevitable. It was in vain. Espinosa curtly told him to go to his post and mind his own business, and— although the council of war supported him he was given only 300 men to guard the coast where he was ordered to reside during certain months and to visit frequently end of section 40